This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If your entire labor and delivery is three hours or less, it's known as a precipitous labor. And while the thought of having a condensed labor may sound like a good thing, there are possible complications and decisions to make if you think you and your baby may be at risk. I'm Jerry Ryan, a licensed midwife with an active birth practice here in San Diego, and this is Preggy Pell's episode 45. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit! I've got cankles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Have you downloaded our amazing Preggy Pals app? This is a great way to listen to our shows on the go, and they are available in both the Amazon and iTunes marketplace. Did you miss an older episode of Preggy Pals? Then join the Preggy Pals Club. You'll get access to all of our episodes, transcripts, and special bonus content after each show. Our club members even get a one-year free subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. Visit our website for more information and to sign up. Okay, so let's dive into this. Let's introduce our panelists here. We have one panelist joining us over the phone and one here in the studio. So we're going to start here in the studio with Amy. Hi, Amy. Good morning. Hi, I'm Amy Askin. I'm 39, really 29. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start using that, I think. (laughs) I'm I'm 29 in my mind. Um, I am a work-at-home mom, and I blog for BelovedAtmosphere.com and do a side business of a vacation rental property and have three girls, yes, three girls, the three little mermaids who are eight, three, and a newborn who's one month today. Oh, congratulations. And you did have, with the last one, a precipitous labor, I did have a precipitous labor and didn't know what that was until I experienced it. (laughs) Okay, we're going to dive into that a little bit more later in the conversation because I do want to hear about your experience. And then joining us on the phone is Rachel Adams-Gonzalez. Rachel's been a panelist on our show before. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Um, my name is Rachel Adams Gonzalez, like you said. I'm 29, and um, I am a product consultant for doTERRA essential oils. My son will be three yep. in a couple of weeks, and I had um, a birth center water birth with him. And my daughter is, she's three weeks old and 34 and a half weeks gestation. Um, and uh, we had uh, an unexpected hospital birth with her. Okay. Well, thank you, ladies, for joining us today. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. All 
All right. We have a question from one of our Facebook friends. This comes from Becky. And Becky writes, My sister and brother-in-law are having a hard time conceiving their first child. To date, they have had three miscarriages, all in the first trimester. It's really hard to watch my sister go through this. What advice do you have for being supportive yet practical with my sister so she doesn't get her heart broken if this happens again? Hi, this is Yvonne Rothermel, licensed clinical social worker. Hi, Becky. First of all, I would like to say that just by the fact that you cared enough to write into Preggy Pals about your sister's multiple miscarriages tells me that you already have what your sister needs most from you. It must be such a helpless feeling for you to watch your sister and brother-in-law endure so many losses. Unfortunately, as much as you want to, there's nothing you can do to protect their hearts from being broken again. However, there is a lot you can do to, to provide them with support. Everyone copes differently with losses, and I would stay attuned to what their needs are individually and as a couple. You can let them know that you think of them all the time and that you know this is a difficult time for them. You can frequently call and check in if this is helpful for your sister, or if she and your brother-in-law are isolating more, which isn't uncommon with losses, I would write them emails or send a quick text saying, just thinking of you, no need to get back to me, just letting you know I'm here for you. I would stay sensitive to how your sister and brother-in-law are experiencing their world right now. Are there many friends and relatives around them that are pregnant or having babies? As you know, this will be difficult for them, and they may not want to attend as many social events. As someone close to them, you can provide sensitivity to these types of issues. Just being someone who gets it in their life can be so incredibly helpful. Unfortunately, many of us do not know what to say or do for others when there are these types of losses. Well-meaning friends and family may not bring up the losses or they may avoid having much contact with them because they don't know how to help. This is the worst thing you can do. It's important to acknowledge what they're going through. Since they're trying to have their first baby, it's not uncommon for couples to delay their grief and keep on the track of trying to get pregnant again. What is most important is that no matter how they are coping, you respect their decisions. Stay open to being an emotional support for them when they are open to it and need it most. Mm -hmm. I would recommend reading the book A Silent Sorrow, Pregnancy Loss, Guidance and Support for You and Your Family by Ingrid Cohen and Perry Lynn Moffat. This will give you more information on how to best help your sister and brother-in-law, and they may even be interested in reading the book themselves. There are also online supports through Share Pregnancy and Infant Loss, which has links to local support groups, and you can find them at www.nationalshare.org. And also there is the support Postpartum Support International at www.postpartum.net. And they can also direct you to a chapter where you live where you can find information on local perinatal loss support groups. They are lucky to have you, Becky, someone who cares for them so much. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's Hot 100. 
Today's topic comes from one of our listeners, Haley from Jackson, Mississippi. And Haley writes, "I was wondering if you've thought of doing a show on precipitous labor. I'm sure it's something every first-time mom has thought of, and then parentheses, giving birth in the car at one point or another." She says, "My sister and I both had precipitous labor around 90 minutes with our firsts. She was planning a natural labor and loved the whole experience. It was also during the day, so the doctor made it on time." She says that she was planning an epidural, and her water broke at home, and there were contractions in the car. She sat in triage for about thirty minutes, and then Haley's baby was delivered by the nurse twenty minutes later. No IV, no hospital gown, nothing. She had wanted to get an epidural, but that didn't happen, and she says she wasn't mentally prepared for the pain and everything that she experienced. And she also had bad tearing, she says, because the baby came so quickly. So, thank you, Haley, for sending this in. I know you have a lot of questions now that you're pregnant again. She wants to know could this happen again? I think it's a common question that a lot of women might have if they've had precipitous labor before. So, joining us here in the studio is Jerry Ryan. She is a licensed midwife who has attended hundreds of births, and she also teaches and she is the director at the Nizoni Institute, which is a local midwifery school here in San Diego. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Sure, of course. So let's start with just talking about what is precipitous labor. I had never heard of this term before until Haley sent this email. So what is it? What defines it? Clinically speaking, precipitous labor is a labor that, from start to finish, is three hours or shorter. And it's in her case, probably ninety minutes. Um, it is a very rapid labor. I would just say physiologically, what's happening is the, the uterus is contracting so quickly that sometimes it sets up a slightly hypoxic situation for the baby. The baby's a little bit in shock when they're born. Generally, the mama is pretty much in shock also because <laughs> all of this happens so quickly. Um, I would just say, as far as feelings, what it feels like is that your body is so far ahead of your mind that when the baby comes out, it's almost difficult to bond with your baby for the first few hours because your head literally has not kept up with your body. Right. So it's not what we would consider a normally progressing labor. Um, it doesn't mean it's a terribly dangerous thing, mm-hmm. but it's certainly unexpected. And yet, as a midwife, this is what I find. All my first-time mamas. Oh, I want to. I want to have a labor in three hours or less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for those of you who have experienced that, you look at them and think, "No, you don't." Yeah. Well, Amy, let's talk a little bit about your experience with precipitous labor. Did you had you heard the term before? Did you know that that's what was happening to you when it was happening? I did not. I and this kind of touches on something else, but I did hypno babies, which is a, a very specific tailored hypnosis program for childbirth, and so. I was in hypnosis when I—I I mean, I did my finger drop technique and went into hypnosis. And so, when I was having these contractions, the only thing that um, defined that this was precipitous labor for me was that I had my first child in about nine hours, and okay. my labor mirrored that one. And it was so quick and progressive that I said, "Oh, wait a second, we need to go to the hospital." Yeah. <laughs> so I said, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm at, you know, 4 minutes, you know, 4 minutes apart and, you know, 1 minute in duration whatever." And I with this pregnancy a month ago, I didn't have a contraction that lasted more than maybe 30 to 40 seconds and that surprised me so I kept waiting for them to get more regular and longer right. and they were so effective that 
I, I said, oh, gosh, I can tell that we need to get to the hospital. So I was very blessed. And then I got to UCSD in the birthing center. And, right. you know, things slowed down a bit. But, you know, I was eight centimeters dilated by the time they checked me. And so I was how there. long was the labor? A total of three hours. Oh, I was in labor for no more than three hours. I, I went into labor at about three in the morning and she was born at 611. Oh, my goodness. In the morning. So for me, I was stoked because I was like, oh, wow, this was a really <laughs> successful, you know, I'm third time mama. And so yeah. I was like, oh, this is rad, you know? Yeah. But yeah, when uh, the result of the precipitous labor was, uh, you know, they were concerned about sepsis and things like that with her. She was not breathing properly because my contractions had not effectively massaged her lungs right. enough for her to clear out. So. Right. Okay. Well, there's a lot of information there that we want to dive into. But Sorry. I do, no, no, no. That's good. It's good because okay. we do want to talk about that. Um, Rachel, let's have you share your experience with precipitous labor or your short labor, I should say. Um, I had been in the hospital the prior week with um, preterm labor and was in a lot of pain and um, did not know that I had a ruptured appendix at the time. And I started having some contractions, but they were very irregular, um, like 18 minutes apart, seven minutes apart. And with my son, I had had like really intense, regular, like lasting a minute and a half contractions. And they were like 20 seconds and I was not quite 31 weeks pregnant, so I was talking to the baby and, you know, okay, well, we're not ready to come out yet, and there were, like, 20 seconds. They would stop. Everything would calm down, so I just thought, well, I'll lay down and um, relax, and then I got up and ate and um, was still having some contractions, but over two hours, I wrote down eight contractions total, so I definitely did not think that when I went to um, the restroom to pee, um, I had that sensation that integrated birth knows where you feel like you can, you need to poop really bad, but it's a baby. And so um, I just ha- thought, oh my gosh, I need to feel, and it was like right inside my vagina. She was ready to come out. And um, so I freaked out, <laughs> um, not only because I was not quite 31 weeks pregnant, but um, there was a baby about to be pushed out. I was in my bathroom. And um, so my mom, fortunately, was here. There was babysitter here to stay with my three-year-old, and um, <laughs> this traffic opened up. It was 5 p.m., and um, we got to the hospital at 5.05, and she was born at 5.28. The contractions never got really close together. They never got really long. Um, it was the polar opposite in every way of the labor I had with my son, which was five hours total, but, um, super, super, super intense. And, um, but you know, I didn't know at the time that my, my appendix was ruptured and I think my body and obviously the big news she had to get out, but my body also knew that if I had a really intense labor that I had to push really hard to get a baby out, I may have ruptured the abscess that was forming and we could have both lost our lives. So we're very fortunate to be here and um really happy that my body knew what to do. That's amazing to me. And um Jerry, does that happen with our bodies? Like, you know, if if there's something, you know, bigger going on inside the body, how does the body protect itself, protect the baby? You know, that is an interesting concept and I don't know that there's any studies that have been done on it, but certainly um anecdotally speaking, I've known of cases where women who have serious illnesses, um their babies just come early. Um, interestingly, the baby is larger than we would expect for that gestational age. 
uh, there's just a wisdom in women's bodies that seem to know when a baby needs to be delivered early. And there's a wisdom with babies. And sometimes they really understand that their chances on the outside are better than their chances on the inside. And so when there's health issues going on with mom, it's not uncommon that we see those kind of things. Right. I know both of the ladies talked about contractions. What can you expect, I guess, with contractions and precipitous labor? In most cases with precipitous labor, it's not the on-again, off-again kind of contractions. There usually is a steady pattern to it. They may not seem all that intense, but they're extremely effective. Mm -hmm. So the uterus is working very effectively. Um, We don't often see precipitous labors in first-time moms. Their cervix has never opened before. Mm -hmm. So once a woman has had a baby or two, the body has some some cellular memory there. And so it knows what to do, and it just seems to be very efficient, very effective. Mm -hmm. And the contractions um, can be quite intense. Um, even if they're not long-lasting. Right. But um, it's it's just a, an extremely effective labor. But often, you know, it does leave the baby a little bit shocky, and, and there can be some risk factors for moms, too. Right. Are there ways to slow down labor once it progresses? You know, <laughs> both of the stories that I heard here, as well as the, the uh, one who wrote in, I find it very interesting that in each one of these cases, the women knew they needed to be where they were going to birth. So there is that innate sense. Um, if you were in a situation where we can talk to a woman who's having experiencing a labor like this, usually we'll try to get them horizontal. So don't add gravity to it. You know, and in these cases, they had to get up and go somewhere else to, to be at the spot where they were laboring. And I know I notice that sometimes when you change spaces, uh, contractions will slow down, your labor will slow down a little bit, the mammal side of us kind of looks at it and says, ooh, a uh, new environment, is it safe to have a baby here? So certainly listening to those urges that say, get where you need to be, uh, and then proceeding with that, actually arriving at the spot. Um, and then once the body settles in, even if it's only 15 to 30 minutes later, now again, that labor just kicks in and, you know, here comes baby. Right. What about for women who were planning some sort of medical intervention, an epidural or something like that? If you get to the hospital and they realize that your labor is progressing very quickly, I would assume your chances are kind of slim to none that they're going to want to take the time to give you an epidural and all of that. It can be very disconcerting for someone who has a specific birth plan. If they're planning to get an epidural and they come in in labor, um, oftentimes because this is such an uncommon type of birth, oftentimes the staff is busy doing the things that they need to do, getting her checked in, Mm -hmm. you know, getting the IV, all of these things, and they really don't frequently see this type of a labor. And so they don't recognize it as, gee, the baby's going to be here in 20 minutes or an hour in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so literally, because most labors take many hours, Mm -hmm. um, it's very hard to recognize it. I think women have an innate power, and when women say the baby is coming, they mean (laughs) the baby is coming. It's coming now. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, that's not the common experience. So as a result, most of those women don't get the epidural. It's not that they couldn't, but sometimes, you know, to get the IV going and get the anesthesiologist in there and get all of these things set up takes time. And in most cases, you're looking at probably a minimum of 20 minutes if I I want it now. Or as long as an hour and a half. So by that time, the baby's already out. So if you have precipitous labor, for example, in Haley's case, she Mm -hmm. did have it with her first. But if you have it once, what are the odds that you're going to have it again? 
I couldn't give you statistics as far as, as far as percentages, but a precipitous labor in one birth makes you slightly more at risk for it happening again. It doesn't mean that it will, but it also doesn't mean that it won't. So some of the factors that we look at in terms of who's more likely to have a precipitous labor, like I said, it's a woman who's already had you know one or more babies. She has a very adequate pelvis. She has a smaller baby that's well-engaged. Um, she may have very strong contractions. The other time that we will see precipitous labor is when a, a woman is maybe being induced. So she's on Pitocin, and all of a sudden the Pitocin level reaches what it needs to for her body to be effective. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, what can be done is the Pitocin can be turned down or turned off. Okay. So that would be one way to slow it down. But um, in in most cases, this the labor just starts, and literally, by the time the individual recognizes that they're in labor, gets to where they need to be to have the baby, mm-hmm. it's usually only half an hour to maybe an hour and a half before the baby's out, which is very unusual. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about pain, since we were talking about epidurals and pain medication. Is the pain different when you are experiencing those surges, those contractions, or you know, does your body somehow adapt because there's just so much going on. Amy, let's start with you. What do you think? Um, I found that my pain level was not, again, this is my third. And so I think um, and doing hypnosis, I, I managed it. Again, I, I think it mirrored the, the labor, although it was completely contracted by a third, <laughs> two thirds. <laughs> um, it very much mirrored my first birthing experience with my, my now eight-year-old. Um, and so I think I just innately felt that and knew. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of went with it. You know, I, right. I got to be in the birthing pool and I did, you know, kind of because I'm like, I, yeah, I manage it, but I'm no hero. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do this. Bring it. <laughs> you know, so I sat in the birthing tub and I was like, okay, I'm ready now. And they're like, well, it might want to slow down just a little. You know, I didn't know about all this, this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, Ah, uh, you know, I think it's time. So, you know, I, but again, I think listening to your body, breathing through it, mm-hmm. there's nothing your body can't do if you put your mind to it. So mm-hmm. that's the attitude I've always had and has been very successful for me. So, mm-hmm. um, Rachel, what was pain like for you and how did you handle it? You know, the level of pain that I had been in for a while um, was significantly more than my labor. I have a really bizarrely high tolerance for pain, I've learned. So um, it's very skewed, but my contractions, while they were intense at the very end, I think part of that was the change in environment and, um, you know, being in the car, being in the hospital, but they were so mellow that I, you know, I didn't even realize that I was in labor. And really the only thing that was really hard for me was when the nurse checked me at check-in. When I first got to triage, that was um, the only memorable, really horrible moment, Um, having, you know, being fully dilated with a baby about to come out and the nurse putting her whole hand inside of me. Breathing makes all the difference and breathing through the um, the contractions. Yeah, it was, it was pretty mild, which it sounds really weird, but. (laughs) So the one question I have for you two ladies, the two moms with us, how did it differ from your first birth after the birth? Where did your mind go, like, directly after the birth, within the first hour after the birth? What, where, what were you thinking? I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of this, but I don't know. I mean, I wanted to be with my baby, but I was still in shock and kind of just in that numb moment, my body being overcome with hormones and everything else pumping through it, that I was just kind of in a numb state. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
my my experience was very similar to Rachel's as well. I I realized that, and looking back on it again, it was only a month ago. Um, I had I, one thing that was huge was I was in shock. Um, I wanted to be with her and they took her to the warming unit and at that point I knew you know I had brought my other two to breast straight away and and really was intent on getting skin to skin and and nursing her and things um and they just kept saying to me "Mm, we're gonna wait a minute and I know now that that's nurse code for there's something wrong with this baby (laughs) so (laughs) or or at least we need to monitor we're questioning right right that there was something going on and then they called up the peds team and I said there's no way you're taking the baby out of the room without me getting her to breast first. And they said, okay, okay. And so she had to have a bag on. I mean, she had low O2 sats and things. So at any rate, they were wonderful about um, letting me have that closure, I think, because they knew what was going on. They knew it wasn't critical condition or anything. And so they let me bond with her. But long and short is I was in shock. And my adrenaline and my hormones, like Rachel said, were just through the roof. I tried to sleep. My doula really encouraged me to sleep. And she said, promise me. You're not working on the blog. You're not writing right now. <laughs> you're not posting on Facebook. It's time to sleep. And I'm like, I promise. And I did. I put everything away. And my body was just pulsing. And just, I could not close my eyes. I mean, and I thought, you know, this is my ADD or something. But it's a whole other realm. Like, I think my, yeah, my body was just, it was in shock. Yes. So what, I, what I'd like to speak to for just a minute is the hormonal changes that happen. So in a normally progressing labor, what happens is the body over a period of hours has time to ramp up the hormones, including oxytocin, um, in, endorphins, which are our body's own pain relief, all of these things um, to match the level of what the body is processing right now. But when you condense that into a very short period of time, the body doesn't have the opportunity to produce the hormones and get them delivered as quickly as they're needed. So for many women, what they experience is with the actual birth itself and then afterward, they're sitting there really in this somewhat shocky state um, and all of the hormones are still being produced. They don't just get turned off. So so the hormones continue to rise. And for a lot of women, and I've worked with a number of women, both as a doula and as a midwife, who've had precipitous births, and what I hear them need to do is to process the birth. So they talk about it again and again and again, what just happened. Because, in, and probably the, the best way I can state it is, their mind is trying to catch up with what the body already did. Right, and right. so there is that need to connect the experience with the mental perception. So the body has experienced it. It's physically, you have felt it, but your mind just couldn't process it. So as a result, the retelling of the birth helps you to be able to incorporate that into what really just happened. And for some women, too, initially having their baby with them is almost almost overwhelming because they're not expecting their baby to be even be out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one woman uh, took her baby initially and then shortly thereafter handed it off to someone else and really wasn't ready to receive her baby until she got up and showered. And that was her way of kind of coming back into her body and at that point sat down, nursed her baby, and felt very connected. But there is a, there's a huge disconnect hormonally physically, and um, sometimes even spiritually in the sense that you just can't bring it all quite together mm-hmm. in in the same moment. Right. That makes good sense. I wish you were in there with me. 
<laughs> well, well, and I'm happy to be talking about it here because this way other women will know right. a precipitous birth mm-hmm. is a very different kind of labor. Mm-hmm. And there, there is another cause for precipitous labor, something that can be controlled. And I just want to bring it out because it is something that often if a woman has a precipitous labor, um, they may actually do a... Um, a check, a blood check on her to make sure she's not using cocaine, oh, because right. cocaine is one of the one of the primary causes of precipitous labors. So sometimes in a hospital setting, they may actually do a tox screen, either on baby or on mom, just to verify that's not an issue. And you can understand that they're simply ruling out: Do we need to address um, a, either both a social issue, but also a physical need for this baby? Okay. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the potential risks from having a precipitous labor. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are talking about precipitous labor, which is short labor. And our special guest today is Jerry Ryan. She's a licensed midwife, and she also teaches and directs at the Nijoni Institute, which is a local midwifery school right here in San Diego. So I want to talk a little bit more about what some of the potential risks and effects are from having a precipitous labor. So let's let's chat about that a bit. Okay. Some of the physical risks uh, I spoke about earlier were, were for the baby. Sometimes mm-hmm. babies can be somewhat hypoxic. In other words, um, during those last usually few contractions, um, a lot of the oxygen is being, um, the baby is not given an adequate amount of oxygen. Um, about a third of their blood volume is sitting up in the placenta for delivery after the birth. But also the contractions being so strong um, the oxygen is being fed to the uterus because it's the largest muscle that's working in the body. So it gets the baby ready to breathe, but sometimes the contractions are so strong that the baby actually doesn't get enough oxygen during that time period. Now, we know that babies are very, very adjustable, very malleable, um, but it can cause some some respiratory issues afterwards. Sometimes those babies have to spend greater time in the NICU um, and will maybe deal with respiratory issues for the first few hours for most babies. Sometimes it can be a little bit longer than that. Um, There are certainly risk factors for women. Uh, When a baby comes through that fast and the cervix dilates that fast, sometimes there can be cervical lacerations, which bleed fairly heavily. There can be vaginal lacerations. Um, So generally the care provider after a birth like that is going to be in there really looking things over well to make sure that everything is back together the way that it should. Um, Perineal damage is also a possibility because of the the rapidity with which the baby shoots through there, Mm. if you will. (laughs) Um, It really was like that. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, That's a terrible word to use, but it really (laughs) is. It's like a shot out like a cannon. (laughs) And and as a result of some of these um, these lacerations, as well as just the, the 
the rapidity, uh, there can be some hemorrhaging. The uterus may become very flaccid, uh, just does not contract down well afterward. So it may be a little bit more difficult to get the placenta out. Um, so those are all risk factors that care providers pay close attention to. It's not something that the birthing woman needs to tune into t- so much. Right. I mean, that's why you have staff there. Fetal distress is something that's watched um, talked about that. And one thing that that we don't um, talk about too much, because it doesn't happen very often, but if the baby is very small, if it's a preterm baby, then we have a greater risk of intracranial damage or bleeding um, because, again, of it being forced through so quickly. So those are some of the basic risk factors that we look at. You know, we've had some activity about this topic on our Facebook page, and we've had some people say that they live in rural areas where it's going to take, you know, a good amount of time to get to their care provider. So the question of inductions comes up. And I know that's not something a lot of women choose to do. They want to have it as naturally as possible. But what are your thoughts on inducing to avoid some of these complications that we've talked about? You know, an induction is not going to um, necessarily prevent a precipitous birth. So okay. one of the one of the risk factors with precipitous births is pitocin induction and pitocin augmentation. So if uh, there are other ways to induce, um, I have had I had a client one time who lived out in the desert, and she was planning to birth um, in La Jolla. And so that was her choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she didn't want to drive up over the mountains in the fog of night that right. time of year. And, you know, I went into that with her with the idea that, okay, first time mom, um, gee, this could, you know, I could be here 24, 36 hours. Oh, well. Um, she had a beautiful birth. She birthed in about 12 hours from beginning to end. So every woman has to be well informed. Mm-hmm. They have to know the risks and the benefits uh, I like to tell them, take their brain to the birth. What's the benefit? What's the risk? What does your instinct tell you? Are there any alternatives? And does it have to be done now? Mm-hmm. And if you can answer those five things to any procedure and make your choice, then go with what is comfortable for you. Are there additional resources that you would recommend? Because I know we just kind of scraped the surface on this topic. You know, one of my favorite resources is Childbirth Connection. Um, childbirthconnection.org. They're one of the best educational sources in terms of really researching what goes on that site. Um, And just know about yourself. Know about your body. Um, Some of my other favorite books are the books by Sears and Sears, the birth book, the Mm -hmm. baby book. Um, Be an advocate for yourself. Know what's important to you. Have someone there with you who can advocate for you. As in Rachel's case, hers happened so quickly that her husband didn't get to be there. So, yeah, and and sometimes these things do happen. But also take the time afterward to process the birth. Talk it through. Talk until, you know, people don't want to hear you anymore. Find a different friend and talk to them. <laughs> because it's part of that assimilation that happens, that needs to happen between what happened physically, what happened mentally, and what happened spiritually in terms of what you were preparing for. Right. And it brings it all together. It synthesizes it into the experience of who this little person is. Right. And then honor this person and the journey that they made. 
Good advice. All right. Well, thank you, Jerry, for joining us today and sharing all this information with us. For more information about Jerry and her practice, as well as information about any of our panelists, visit the episodes page on our website. For members of our Preggy Pals Club, the conversation continues. We are going to explore what you should do if your labor is progressing quickly and you can't seek medical attention. So that's our special bonus content for our members right after the show. Before we wrap today's show, here's some maternity fashion trends from Crystal Steubendeck of Borrow for Your Bump. Hello, Preggy Pals. I'm Crystal Steubendeck, maternity fashion expert and founder of Borrow for Your Bump, where you can buy or rent maternity styles for a monthly rate. Today, we're going to talk about the office essentials for moms-to-be. These wardrobe essentials are still professional for the working mom, even as you sport a new bump. The first must-have is a structured jacket. A tailored jacket will make you feel polished and strong. A style with a stretchy material will grow with your changing body, but will give you a sleek look that can be worn many different ways. Pair with trousers at the office and boyfriend jeans on the weekend. The next essential is a colorful sleeveless dress. Try darker but feminine tones for the office, like purple, coral, and dark pink, but make sure the fit is not too loose and bohemian. As your bump grows, try those styles with side ruching. For a tighter-fitting dress, pair with a tailored jacket or cardigan. Our third office must-have is a pair of chic flats. These will be your lifesaver as you are trying to stay comfortable but still professional at work. Choose dark colors like black or metallic, which will go with mostly any outfit combination. The next essential is four perfect blouses in white, black, a neon tone like hot pink or yellow, and stripes. Choose styles that may be a little larger in the beginning of your pregnancy and use belts to gently define your waist. This look is flattering on any body shape. Then as your bump grows, the blouses will be more fitting to last even beyond your pregnancy. Roll up the sleeves for a more casual look that is perfect for the weekend. Finally, the last office must-have is a comfortable pair of black pumps. Moms-to-be can have a career while still feeling sexy. Make sure to find a nice leather material, but avoid patents, which doesn't have much stretch. Also, avoid a platform or sky-high heel. Even two-inch kitten heels can be sexy as long as the toe is pointy, which gives a modern edge. Don't forget to check out more great styles for moms-to-be at borrowforyourbump.com. Enter promo code PREGGYPALS at checkout to save 20% off your entire order. Thanks for listening to today's tips on office essentials, and be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great pregnancy tips. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Parent Savers, for parents with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. Next week, we'll be discussing how to handle pregnancy when you already have young children. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Our family has grown. 
Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.